Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast would be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, I got three words for you, family. Well, let's say it differently. We live, we love, we serve. Amen. And we thank God. Um, I want to look at a particular passage of Scripture today. I know that um, this is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and as I said in the beginning of the service, this is truly a moment for us to demonstrate gratitude to God and and for all that God has done. And, and I hope that the video from our pastoral leadership team uh, expressing the depth of our gratitude was felt because, again, we are truly grateful for all of you and truly grateful for your sustained support, not just in your resources, but just tuning in and supporting and participating in all that we've been doing in this most challenging year. So, again, from my heart to yours, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to look at a passage in the book of Genesis, it is a familiar one. It is uh, one of those Sunday school passages found in the book of Genesis. Genesis, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 9, and I want to read it in the uh, NRSV as well as the Message Bible. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 9. And it reads this way. Now the man knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And in the Message Bible, it reads this way. Adam slept with Eve, his wife. She conceived and had Cain. She said, I've gotten a man with God's help. Then she said she had another baby, Abel. 
Abel was a herdsman and Cain a farmer. Time passed. Cain brought an offering to God from the produce of his farm. Abel also brought an offering, but from the firstborn animals of his herd, choice cuts of meat. God liked Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering didn't get his approval. Cain lost his temper and went into a sulk. God spoke to Cain, why this tantrum? Why the sulking? If you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. Cain had words with his brother. They were out in the field. Cain came at Abel, his brother, and killed him. God said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, how should I know? Am I his babysitter? Amen. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you on this day, and we honor you, O God, for this moment, this opportunity that you have given us, that you have granted us. There's a moment, O God, that we are compelled to lean into this life-giving time, this time, O God, where you continue to not just pour in, O God, but to fertilize us, to till the ground of our spirit that we might be receptive, not just to your word, O God, but to your revelation. God, we thank you. We honor you this morning, and we are grateful, as always, O God, that you are still mindful of us. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray, and we say amen. Amen. Let me read that again in the New Revised Standard Version in its entirety. Genesis 4, 1 through 9. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper. Amen. I want this morning to speak from this thought. We are the keepers of one another. We are the keepers of one another. 
This story is such a familiar story. It is one that I think from the time we enter Sunday school becomes one of the grand narratives that shapes so much of our early lessons in life. Those grand Sunday school narratives of the beginning story of Adam and Eve and then David and Goliath and Moses parting the Red Sea. This story of Cain and Abel is one of those grand narratives but has often served as a narrative of what we ought not do. The story is filled with drama, brother turning on brother. It is filled with ideas of jealousy and envy and anger and even rage, the kind of rage that drives one human being to take the life of another human being. I remember being a young man and reading this story and hearing it read in Sunday school and, and even in that moment of hearing it being read, being reminded in that moment that this is not what it means to be part of this human family. We don't take another life. We don't take advantage of another human being. We don't seek to destroy or end life. There were so many ways this narrative was given to children in Sunday school, taught even as a child. But now, many years later, I look at this story a little differently. Yes, it is a story filled with all the things I said before, and some I will touch on. The idea of anger and rage and even displaced anger, frustration, jealousy, animosity, and ultimately, murder. But when you look at this story, the story of one brother taking the life of another brother, there are parts of this story that speak to something that actually exists within all of us in some way, shape, or form. Look at the story in its raw form, if you will. The beginning of the narrative lets us know that Adam and Eve had these two sons, the first, Cain, being the older, and the second, Abel. Cain would be a tiller of the ground, the soil, a farmer. Abel would be a herdsman, one who tends to the flocks. They had responsibility. Look at it. Two sons, Cain and Abel. And then the narrative says what they did. Cain, a tiller of the land. Abel one who tends to the flocks, a herdsman. And then it continues. They then both give offerings to God. Cain gives an offering that apparently is not accepted. Abel gives an offering. Well, it says that God approves of. Cain is angry because it seems that his offering is not approved by God. He's angry really with God, but he takes his anger out on his brother. And then one day, after the offering was rejected by God, Cain's whole countenance, his whole face sank. He felt not just the offering, but he was rejected from God. 
And God told him, basically, don't let your countenance remain there. Don't sow. Don't stay in that place of misery or depression or anger or frustration or even sadness. Because in that space of sadness that you stay in too long, there's an opportunity for something else to take place if you let that emotion linger. He said, you have the capacity to not stay here, but you can master it. Go from here. Learn, shift. He tells Cain this. And then what does Cain do? He invites his brother to the field. By the way, the place of his work. And he kills his brother. God shows up and asks him a question. Where is your brother? Cain says, I don't know. And those words we've heard for centuries. Am I my brother's? keeper. The story is straightforward, but look at it a little deeper. Look at it not with eyes of judgment. Look at it not trying to discern the deeper meaning connected to violence or killing, but maybe look at it as a narrative of deep woundedness, of deep pain, Pain unreconciled, and what happens when that unreconciled pain is not addressed? You see, they are similar. Two brothers born from the same mother, given assignments, one in the field, one to tend to herds. There's no difference at that point. There's a difference in age, but there's no qualitative difference between these two men before God. The only difference arises with how they show up before God. This becomes the difference. Cain comes and makes an offering. But the writer of the narrative says that when Abel makes an offering, he takes the best portions of his offerings. The Message Bible says the choice cuts of meat he offers to God. Because in some ways, what we offer up to God is a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. What we bring before God is really saying how we feel, not just about God, but how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about our words, our value. So that what we produce and what we present really shapes a profile of who we are. Oh, I hope you can get that. What we produce and what we present builds a profile of our personality. I'll say it one more time. What we produce And what we present builds a profile of our personality. It says something about who we are, how we show up, how we produce, how we present, how we feel about ourselves constantly. And in this way, what we offer to God, our gifts, our talents, our produce, our labor, says something about how we feel about ourselves. How do you show up? Before God, how do you show up for yourself? I mean, if I ask you the question of how do you show up before God, I can imagine how the brain and the mind begins to wander. But the deeper, more pressing question is how do you show up for yourself and push it even deeper? How do you feel about yourself? If what you offer, how you show up is a reflection of how you feel about yourself, then we see what the deeper issue is in this text. 
Abel shows up with the best. He gives the choicest cuts, the fatted portion of the meat, the best. He feels good about what he's produced and what he presents. Enough to want to offer his best because he understands that his best is a reflection of who he is. It's a reflection of how he feels about himself. Cain just shows up and makes the offering. And the writer makes no distinction. And we have to make the assumption at that moment that Cain probably did not give his best. It was offering the best that garnered God's approval, but not that God needed the offering. Maybe in that moment, God was more concerned, possibly with how they felt about themselves, how they felt about themselves. I mean, it's not too far-fetched to think about it. I mean, God had prior experience with their parents when that time when they ate of the forbidden fruit and they discovered they were naked and they made outfits out of fig leaves and they hid. And God said, Adam, where are you? That question that God raises and raised to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel's parents, wasn't about where they were geographically. Where were they spiritually? Where were they emotionally? Because where God had left them before their act of disobedience had changed. And maybe, maybe how God engages these two sons in some ways reflects how God had history with their parents. Maybe God is looking at their offering to see where they are, how they feel, how they see themselves. And it wasn't that God just disapproved of Cain's offering. Maybe, if you permit me, maybe God disapproved of how Cain saw himself. Oh, maybe that's why God, not angry, Because, in fact, God tries to encourage Cain when his countenance falls, when he sees he's sulking and sad. He tries to encourage him. God is not angry. God is not bitter. But maybe God's disapproval and maybe disappointment is because maybe he wanted Cain to want more for himself. Maybe he wanted Cain to want more for himself. Can you imagine those moments when God is disappointed in us? It's not because we've made mistakes. We will all do that. Not because we've had shortcomings or flaws or failures. Maybe, maybe those moments of radical divine disapproval come because we don't feel better about ourselves. We don't think highly of ourselves. Here we are sharing this divinity with God that we are made in the likeness and image and substance of God. And then for some reason, we never really ascertain the fullness of our own divinity, our own humanity, connected to our own divinity. And we never see ourselves the way God sees us. And maybe the inability to see the best in ourselves and the best about ourselves is what brings about disapproval from God. What if it's not about how we measure? Did I dot every I or cross every T? Did I come to this life not making any mistake? What if it is really about how you feel about yourself? How you feel about yourself? And God disapproved the fact that Cain didn't think more of himself to bring forth the best of what he could produce and present, which was a reflection of who he was. My God, 
How would that change how we show up every day? If we show up every day thinking that what we produce and how we present is a direct reflection of how we feel about ourselves. You can begin to answer a whole lot of questions about your journey right there. If how you show up and how you produce is connected to how you feel about yourself, then you already can have the answer to some of the greatest struggles you could ever have, that those answers are connected to just how you see yourself, how you feel about yourself. Abel brings his best, the best of the fruit of his hands, pride in it, felt good about it. So good that he didn't have to withhold any of it. He gives the best. He gives the best. Without a thought about what he would have or what he may need, because in that moment when you produce and present, you want to make sure that it's a clear reflection of the best of who you are. The story says that God sees the issue In a word, he tells Cain, pick your head up. Don't sulk. Don't stay here because that is the opportunity because something is always lurking around the corner of your emotions. Something is always waiting to take advantage of your emotions. Some opportunity to not just let your emotions grab hold of you, but to sink into deep and dark places that undermine the best of who you are. We have all been there. We've allowed our emotions to govern our attitude and shape our possibility. And we've had those moments of sadness and deep frustration and deep woundedness. And we've allowed those emotions to now deepen in our lives and define our lives. We know the dark corridors that those emotions take us down. We know where those emotions can go. And what God tells Cain is don't stay there. And here's the part I like. He said, you can master it. You don't have to be defined or controlled by those things. You have the capacity to speak and declare and be and show up in ways that assault even the emotions that try to undermine who you are that you don't have to accept, that you don't have to be a victim of your own emotions, that you don't have to be a victim of your own emotions. I'm going to say it again. You don't have to be a victim of your own emotions. You have the capacity to assault what assaults you. You have the ability to master that which you thought you never could gain control of. God tells Cain this, and when God tells him this, he still doesn't get it. God is trying to push him to be his best self. I mean, God is doing this. And even when God does it, Cain still falls victim. That lets you know that this work, this deep soul work, ain't easy work. It is the kind of work that you must commit source and resource to. It is the kind of work that you must commit heart and soul to. This agonizing work of showing up as your best self all the time. 
and not just being a victim of your reckless and rampant emotions, those emotions that seek to undermine the best of who you are. God could not get Cain to see it. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but it comes as a sign to see that this work I speak of is not easy work. It is soul work. Soul work is never easy work. Because soul work means visitation to spaces that we've been running from at times. Soul work means having encounters that put you face to face with some of the things that have been holding you back the most. Soul work is when you intentionally lean into the spaces that may have pushed you out in the former places. Soul work means that you are committed to the amazing reimagining of your spiritual possibilities because you are committed to the healing of your soul. Soul work is necessary if you're going to live the life you were created to live. If you're going to live the life you were created to live, if you're going to justify the reckoning for your breathing, soul work is the work that we are all called to do. And it happens for different people at different points along the journey when you realize that there's more to life than these superficial trappings. There's more to life than these external things. There's more to life than winning the favor, occurring the favor of other people. It's in those moments when you realize that life is bigger than you. And when you realize that sometimes life is bigger than even the things you thought were critical and important to your own survival and sustenance. When you have that awakening moment, when you come alive, all of a sudden that becomes the moment when soul work becomes paramount. And it happens for different people at different points. But when it happens... There's no going back. Once you open up the door to do the soul work, new vistas of possibility begin to open up because what the universe now knows is that you have made healing your priority and restoration your goal. Cain couldn't hear it. He tells his brother because he's angry. And the truth of the matter is, on one level, he may have been angry with God. On another level, he may have been angry with his brother. But in the most honest level, he was angry with himself. And it's hard to admit when you are the culprit. I mean, how many people have you blamed in your life because you were unable to blame you? How many people did you try to hold responsible for the work you had to do on you? It was displaced anger. And what does he do with that displaced anger and misplaced rage? He killed his brother. He killed his brother. He killed the one who was a reminder that he wasn't showing up his best. Think about that. He tried, he, he severed the relationship with the person who reminded him that he wasn't showing up his best for himself. 
he killed his brother. God comes and says, where is your brother? Just like with Adam and Eve, not because God didn't know. He wanted to hear what Cain would say. And Cain coldly and in callous fashion says to God, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That word there for keeper is in the Hebrew, see more, which means guard or watcher. Am I my brother's guard? Do I bear the responsibility to protect my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's protector? Well, there's no answer. But in some ways, we know the answer. And it's really an easy answer made complicated and difficult because things like selfishness get in the way and narrow living gets in the way. And we don't feel we bear the responsibility for one another. We don't feel like we have to be one another's keeper. We live life in this world at times in such a rugged individualistic manner that we don't always and often stop to think of the responsibility we have to one another. I read this week the story that in the United States right now, right now, there are 4.2 million homeless youth and young adults. 4.2 million. And what is said to be the wealthiest country in the world Of that 4.2 million, 700,000 are unaccompanied minors. Think about that. On any given night in the United States, 41,000 young people between the ages of 13 and 25 are on the streets with no adult supervision, nobody. 41,000 on any given night between 13 and 25 homeless on the street. Are we our brothers and sisters keepers? Children, 4.2 million homeless. Look at where we are right now in our world. Forget the elections. Forget the politics. On a human level, our crisis is a humanitarian one. Maybe we become so angry and so bitter with ourselves that we've forgotten how to care about others. Maybe the real issue is not how we treat others. Maybe we've forgotten how to show up for ourselves. And because we've forgotten how to show up for ourselves, we don't know how to show up for others or really don't realize that showing up for others in a way is showing up for ourselves. Because if I show up for another human being, At the same time, I am showing up for myself. Maya Angelou once said that the older you get, you realize that you do have two hands, one for yourself and one for somebody else. And when you learn to let those hands work together, you never find yourself in a place of lack or want. The capacity to be a keeper 
of another human being to protect, to guard, to look after, to care. I have two children. But when I read that article this week, I felt like I had 4.2 million. The tears began to flow because in that moment, I felt the pain. I could not imagine what it would feel like. And so many of our brothers and sisters live this way in this city and in cities around the country. So many children are living homeless. So many children are food insecure. So many young people, the vulnerable among us, are hurting and are broken and are damaged. Are we their keeper? Do we bear that responsibility? Maybe, maybe, maybe we learn to breathe twice in our lives. Maybe we learn to breathe twice. When we are born, we come out of our mother's womb and we take that first breath and sometimes the doctors have to clear our passageway, so we can breathe. That's the first time I think we learn to breathe. That is the biological breathing. It is an indicator of our humanity. But maybe there's another indicator of our humanity. Another breathing, a second breathing. That is not natural to many. We have to be intentional about learning this one. You see, Cain and Abel. Cain in the Hebrew means acquired. Abel means breath. (laughs) Maybe at the end of the day, that second breathing is an acquired breath. Maybe the second breathing is an acquired breath. Maybe, Maybe we acquire that breath when we learn to be one another's keepers. Maybe we learn to breathe again. Imagine if our life is spent gasping for that second breath, seeking to acquire that second breath. And how? By being one another's keeper. And when we become one another's keeper, maybe we learn to breathe again. Maybe we will learn to breathe again because too many of us are suffocating. And in the words of Sadhguru, dying in installments, we have to be one another's keeper. Come on, let's pray. God, we just thank you today. But God, this past week, many of us celebrated reasons to be thankful. God, I come asking for forgiveness. Forgive us, O God, for those moments we don't attempt to acquire breath. 
Forgive us, O God, those moments where we are so self-centered and so self-engrossed that we forget to be our brother and our sister's keeper. We don't show up as our best selves. We let our emotions that undermine our humanity reign in our lives. Forgive us, O God. Because God, right now in this season, there's so many experts who claim to know what is wrong in the world and even in our country, but God, it's not complicated. We have a human crisis where we're cutting off oxygen for so many. And we have grown comfortable with knowing that some of our brothers and sisters can't breathe. Help us, O oh God, to step outside of ourselves so that we might acquire breath and bring Cain and Abel together. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.